Welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast with me, Natasha Collins, property investor, chartered surveyor, and CEO of NC Real Estate, my boutique firm of surveyors, which specializes in helping investors make money from commercial and mixed-use properties in the UK through our asset management services. Want to find out more? Head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk. Before I get started today, I just want to let you know about the masterclass that I am hosting on the 21st of February at 7pm UK time. It is a repeat of what I did in January because so many people are asking for it again. So it's all about rising above the noise, how to invest in commercial property in 2023. I'm going to put the link below, but if you didn't make it for that first webinar, you're definitely going to want to come and wait, make it for this second webinar. It is phenomenal. We go through everything you need to know about commercial property investing at the moment, how to make sure that you're buying the right property, how to make sure that you're setting the right goals for your portfolio. There is so much goodness in this masterclass, you're going to want to come and join. So again, make sure that you click the link below this podcast to put your name and email, sign up and come and see me on the 21st of February. I hope you're doing really well this week. It has been a chaotic week for me for numerous reasons. Um, but I've just felt that I've had an awful lot going on and that everything is quite slow to get going. I finished, actually, do you know what made it start off really not great? I finished Where the Crawdads Sing. I thought it was the most miserable book I've read in a long time. Well, it's not miserable, it's sad. And I don't like this six-year-old child being abandoned in a random swamp in North Carolina. I know how, or I've seen how gross those swamps are. My God, there's like alligators and stuff there. Anyway, I was just terrified for this child. Obviously, she made it through. Then there's a murder plot. If you haven't read it, I don't think I can recommend it unless you like sad murder plot twisting things apparently and everybody said oh yeah but the ending is so hopeful so positive Mm, I didn't get it I don't know maybe that's just my mentality I am going to go back to reading some really positive books now that's me I am changing what I want to changing what I want to read (laughs) so I yeah thanks where the core dad's saying you set me up for a miserable week my mind was not in the right place So there you go. What you read really does influence how you feel for the week ahead. I had to do an awful awful lot of journaling and an awful lot of setting tasks to get to where I wanted to be. Speaking of reading, I read a really short but really interesting article in The Economist. Um, It took me back to my childhood, actually. Um, (laughs) It's based in Swindon and it, it's um, architectural preservation in the good times, a surprisingly fierce movement to protect 1970s leisure, leisure centres. This was in the week before last Economist, so the end of January, beginning of February. And it's a tiny little 
paragraph. But it discusses the Oasis Swimming Pool in Swindon. If you have been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been there, it's a massive leisure centre that closed down during the COVID-19 pandemic because they couldn't afford to run it anymore. And it has been protected by historic England. I have funny memories of the Oasis Swindon. I remember nearly drowning in that pool when I was younger, getting stuck in their wave machine and feeling like I couldn't get it out. So for me, it's not the best memories. I wasn't the strongest swimmer as a, a young child. And I just remember saying to my parents, I never want to go there again. I don't mind if it's just a train ride away from Bath, I'm not going again. So essentially, Historic England are trying to protect some of the older leisure centres that have been built as these kind of modern era, massive kind of Mediterranean-esque kind of centres that you can go to and it's like going on holiday. And the dome of the oasis has been protected as well as the swimming pool. <laughs> so if when it goes on sale, you were to buy this, there's nothing else you can do it do with it apart from use it as a leisure centre unless you want to build, I guess, like a level between the dome over top the o oasis and the swimming pool and see if you could put something in there. Maybe it'd make a good shopping centre. Maybe it would make a good hotel. But who's going to Swindon unless you're opening something like a centre parks? I am not Swindon's biggest fan. Every time I have to drive through there, I get caught in so much traffic and it just seems so great to me. That doesn't mean if you live in Swindon, it's not a nice place to live. Just for me... I've never been through Swindon on a good day for me. So I'm not ever in the right mood to be in Swindon. Um, and my question is, when I've been thinking about this, why would Historic England be preserving this? Yeah, it's a big building. And potentially it has some cultural significance, but who's going to be able to afford to run it? The massive dome in the centre of this leisure centre must cost thousands to heat a week. Thousands. And then you've got the swimming pool and then you've got all of the upkeep as well. Would it even be making that much money? You'd have to have some really good concession stands in. And even then, would you be making the money? And because you can't take out the pool, you can't really use it as a residential development site or a development site for anything else. So that then leaves me to question, why are we protecting these buildings? They were great when they were built and they were so much fun. I knew loads of people who used to go to this building all the time and use it, but then the owners couldn't afford to update it. So it slowly but surely went out of fashion. I don't understand the protection of these sorts of buildings. I get it when you're protecting buildings because they look absolutely beautiful, but they can be changed around in the inside. This isn't, and therefore I worry that it's going to turn into a wasteland. And that's my thought process, my opinion. I'd like for you to 
to prove me wrong if you're listening to this podcast, tell me what you would do with the Oasis Swindon. Bearing in mind that the dome's protected and the swimming pool's protected, I would love to hear some thoughts on this because I was shocked. I am seriously shocked. And there's still... Neil Robinson, who led the campaign to protect the Oasis, dearly hopes it will reopen. He has switched to another swimming pool, but it's just boring lane swimming. Well, Neil Robinson, you tell us what you wanted to do with it. Seems, Seems strange that you would spend all that time campaigning to get it listed by Historic England to not have any idea what you were going to be able to do with it going forward or whether it was actually going to be cost effective to open it up in its original condition. That thought process could probably open up a whole other can of worms. Why do you campaign to save something just for nostalgic reasons? Questions. Come back to me with your thoughts on that. I thought it was really interesting. I'm all for protecting historic buildings so long as it's actually affordable to allow them to function. That would be my thought process. And if by 2030 you want all commercial buildings at a B rating, how on earth is that dome going to get to a B rating? Moving on. This week, part of the reason that my week's been so chaotic is that I have a funny feeling about this industry and have made a decision that after April, we are, as a firm, not going to be on this public speaking circuit that everybody else seems to be on. And the reason being is that I'm not comfortable sharing stages with firms I don't know. That sounds like a really bold move, doesn't it? There are a couple of people who have supported NC Real Estate so much that of course I will come and do anything that you need me to support with but there is a limit now. I have seen so many scam scammy sounding things that I can't unravel and I'm I'm not going to name names because I haven't looked into it in huge amounts of detail. But there's a lot that's starting to make me feel really uncomfortable. It almost feels as if networking events have been set up so that the owners of that networking event get access to their members' money. That for me is a massive problem. Why on earth would you be taking on clients to use their money? There is 
some very ethical and moral problems there. I would... It hasn't even ever crossed my mind that I would ask my clients for money. Never. Because that's not what I'm here for. I am a surveyor. My firm is a firm of surveyors. And our job is to literally build mixed-use and commercial property portfolios. But if you are going to places where the person in charge of the event is telling you to invest your money in something, oh, go and speak to so-and-so, they're doing some developments, you know, you could probably make a really good return there. What? I would be questioning the hell out of that. You lending to someone else, putting your money in there in someone else's development based upon the fact that this person that you have paid to attend their event is advising you to do that. I'm seeing more and more stories and case studies of people lending out six figures or more and not seeing it again. Me personally, I've lent out a small amount of money and I'm having trouble recouping it. I think I've got 23,000 outstanding and I'm having problems recouping it. And I thought that I trusted the person enough to get me back the money when I needed, when the agreement came to an end and it just didn't happen. You need to be in control of your own assets. I can't stress that enough. Please question, please question why someone has brought you into a room and where they're making their money. We don't partner with firms and give them kickbacks, ever. We do not make money out of our clients going to use a firm that we've referred. And we don't do it with other firms, vice versa. But what I'm also finding more and more and more is that people are coming out of the woodwork and saying to us, hey, that client of yours is also a client of mine. You owe me money. What? For what? I mean, 9.5 times out of 10, when we go to events and speak, we don't get clients from doing that. We're just raising awareness of what's going on. After that, it's then the speaking, the building trust, making sure that we are the right firm. And after that, and it tends to take a lot of getting to know one another before our clients come on board with us. And I'm very happy with that. I think from that point of view, do you do do your due diligence on us, right? Again, we're never going to ask you for money. But what terrifies me is that people are doing that. And when you walk into a networking event now, I think it's because people think, oh, how much money are they bringing with them? That's gross. It's utterly gross. It's utterly shocking. And it's utterly frustrating. Because they they talk the big talk. I can give you 2% returns a day. I can get you 
18% per year. I can get you blah, blah, blah. It's bollocks. Only the people who have long-term patience and consistency and show up every single day and do the learning, not just from one person, but they go out there and they do it themselves. These are the people that are making money from these things. Everybody else who pays into something doesn't quite get it right and then that person asks them for money so that they could do it themselves. Come off it. If you have a massive pension pot right now and it's burning a hole in your pocket and you just want to give that money out to anybody who tells you that you could make X amount of returns, please start being more wary than you are. I'm not a financial advisor. I cannot advise you where to put your funds. I'm a surveyor. I can advise you on property deals. But it is starting to become shocking to me the people who will quite happily part with money because number one, they've seen someone talking, so they'll just give them some money. Or number two, they will give some money to the person that they've gone to a networking event with. And then what makes it worse is that they double down on it and they say, well, I did loads of research on this person, so they're all right, and they start recommending it to their friends. Yeah, all right. How much research? Why didn't you do it yourself rather than giving so-and-so the money? I, I can understand the purpose of what loan backs were for. With SAS, for example, loaning back to your company. For me, as my pension pot grows, it's going to be lovely loaning back to my company um, and building it even more, right? Would I give my pension to anybody else but me? No. I might do joint ventures. But there is no chance in hell somebody else is taking control of my money and my pension pot. Right? Because that is for my retirement. That is what I'm going to have to live on. Yeah, I've got a property portfolio outside of it. We've got massive stocks and shares portfolio. But my pension pot is for my retirement. It's the one tax-efficient, tax-free thing I've got going on. That's not going to anybody else. I have no interest in putting that out there in third-party loans because I have experience of people defaulting. And I get why that happens. Interest rates have gone up. So, you know, borrowing's more expensive. It's harder to get. But, again, if you've been burned don't keep trusting people. If you've heard someone else has been burnt, don't go out there and start trying to do it for yourself. If you think that something sounds really good and you're going to jump on that shiny penny, please think, is this worth it? Or could I buy something and get six, seven, eight percent returns per, per annum? It doesn't even have to be property, you know? I don't buy all property. <gasps> Shock. I just can't advise on anything else. Right? I diversify. But I own it all. My gosh. Like, buying businesses. People want to buy businesses at the moment. Natasha, I'm just going to go and buy a business. Oh, yeah? 
Are you? Do you know how, how much time and hassle it is to run a small business? You don't just advise clients. You have to get in there and you have to make sure your whole team is doing what they say they're going to do. You have to make sure your clients love on every single surface everything, every single service that you do. You have to make sure that you are committed 100% to the fact that some months, if you don't make money, well, that's what has to happen because leaders eat last. Yeah, do you remember that book, Simon Sinek? Oh, but Natasha, that's an easy way of making money. Oh, is it? Really? Okay, well, if you want to buy a business and go out there and run that, you're not going to be able to run a property portfolio. You're not going to have that sm- that life that you want. These things take time. Building a property portfolio takes time. Buying these properties and making them run smoothly takes time. Hint. Making vast sums of money takes time. Ooh, mic drop moment. I think I've got, I think going back to my original point, I've got to the end of the road with just the utter rubbish that some people spout. The utter rubbish. And then it always seems like I'm the bad person or our firm's the bad people because we don't do things quick. We're not quick, 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 buy property, blah, blah, blah. These things take time. They have to be done properly. But I can't mess you around on that. I have never professed that these things take time. I've been growing my portfolio since I was 21. Right? And I've got a couple of million pounds in property. I'm not here buying property every month, every year. I buy the things that work for my portfolio and I run them well. Because again, I'm not one of these numbers people who's like, you have to have 40 or 50 properties and then you have all your money coming in. Rubbish. That is such a headache to manage. Buy well. Buy well. You can be patient and not buy the little rubbish. I think I've just had enough, really have had enough. And I don't want to be positioned next to anybody who's also selling rubbish, which is why we're going to be so selective of what we do going forward. And I'm not saying that necessarily any stages that I've spoken on so far have these uh, these kind of businesses going on. You know, there's some events in the UK that I love. I love the ethos behind it. Stephen Gallagher, your SAS Scotland. I know I haven't been there to talk yet, but I'm going to and I'm excited for it. And it's an event that I trust. It's an event that I started out on. And Stephen Gallagher, you know, a great, 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 great friend of the business. SAS Northwest really enjoyed speaking there. Ian Walsh, you know, fantastic. There's some things that I'm not going to do going forward. 
And again, we're going to be picky. In fact, so picky that we're probably not going to speak at as many events at all. And that's a choice. That's a massive choice. But again, I really worry about the positioning of some of these things. And what I am seeing with clients losing money, and not just a little bit of money, hundreds of thousands of pounds, wouldn't you rather have an asset that you own that you can change if something's going wrong than be dependent on someone else who could potentially bankrupt themselves and you never get the money back. And that is your pension or your savings gone. I'm lucky that I've only got 23 grand outstanding, but it's still a, a chunk of money. I'm going to need that this year for some deals that I have to get involved in. So I'm working hard on getting that money back. But my advice going forward is please, like, focus on buying things that you are in control of. If that means you have to put a first charge on an asset, fine. Put yourself in the position of a mortgage lender. But you think of how much due diligence a mortgage lender does you know those there's a good three or four months that a mortgage lender is going through their due diligence process to lend to you do that to someone else if you really have to lend i mean properly do that to someone else get your name on that first charge as i said i'm probably not going to lend to anybody again right i just don't it's not for me i've been burned but i would i if you are seriously lending money or someone's asking you for money and you're thinking of doing it, think about how much grief mortgage lenders have given you before and be that mortgage lender. And I'll finish the podcast there. I don't want it to be I don't want it to be negative and I'm not suggesting in any way shape or form if you have lent money or you've invested in these schemes that you're silly or stupid and maybe you've had some success for it from it and i'd be really pleased for you if you have fantastic you know any way of doing investments great i just see far more people losing stuff than i do winning stuff and it's sad it's really sad buy assets that you're in control of and get an independent financial advisor who's actually regulated and can tell you what to do on that note speak to you very soon thank you so much for listening today if you've loved this pod make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and make sure to leave a five-star review as this makes me so happy and it helps to boost the show and get it out there to more property investors finally if you want to email the pod you can write to me natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.